committee will come to order. Uh, welcome everybody uh, to the committee. And I do want to begin by giving a special salute and shout out to my colleague, uh, Senator Mike Rounds, um, who's the ranking member of uh, the Global Health and Africa subcommittee and look forward to working with him and all our colleagues on the subcommittee and the full committee uh, on the large range of issues, pressing issues uh, that are before the subcommittee and the full committee. I see we've also been joined uh, by my colleague, Senator Kane uh, from Virginia, and I'm sure others will be uh, joining us um, as we go. Uh, let me acknowledge our nominees and congratulations uh, to all of you on your nominations uh, to be ambassadors to these countries, uh, and thank you for uh, your service. We have with us today uh, Ambassador Larry Edward Andre Jr. to be the United States Ambassador to Somalia, Ambassador Maria E. Brewer to be the United States Ambassador to Lesotho, Ambassador Tuli Nambo Mushingji to be U.S. Ambassador to Angola, uh, and Santome San and Principe, uh, and Ms. Elizabeth Moore Aben uh, to be U.S. Ambassador to Algeria, uh, and Mr. Eugene S. Young to be the United States Ambassador uh, to the Republic of Congo. And finally, uh, last but not least, Mr. Christopher John Lamora to be the United States Ambassador to Cameroon. Uh, again, welcome everybody. Um, and I'm going to give some brief uh, opening remarks, turn it over to my uh, colleague, Senator Rounds, and then uh, we'll hear from uh, each of you. Today's hearing is the first uh, and foremost is first and foremost a nominations hearing, but in a broader sense, it is an opportunity uh, for us to re-examine our nation's diplomatic relationships uh, with countries uh, across Africa. Uh, President Biden has made clear uh, his mission to restore America's role on the world stage as a force for democracy, for diplomacy, for human rights, and for international cooperation. Uh, those principles must be front and center in our ongoing engagement with African countries and with their citizens. The best way to advance that cause is by focusing on the opportunities uh, for action, opportunities to invest in and engage with some of the fastest growing countries and economies in the world. By 2050, the population of Africa is expected to double and will account for one quarter of the world's population. Africa is also the youngest continent in the world, and 60% of Africans are under the age of 25. These young people uh, will be at the vanguard of the next global generation, helping to lead the charge in innovation, technology, business, and economic growth. Our investment in their futures will help ensure greater prosperity, opportunity, peace, and security, both abroad, but also here at home. That cause holds an added measure of urgency as we confront the reality that many of our biggest threats are interconnected and global. As we've seen throughout the past year, viruses know no borders, and our ability to defeat COVID-19 and tackle future outbreaks, as well as outbreaks of other diseases, requires our participation and our leadership in a global and coordinated response. 
Uh, the same is true for taking on the climate crisis, which obviously has impact here at home and everywhere in the world. It's a key driver of displacement in many countries like Somalia. It also represents a real opportunity uh, at home and around the world uh, for the production of new sources of clean energy, uh, both for Africa and for the global economy. Uh, we are engaging in projects that advance these goals and others through ventures like Power, the Power Africa Initiative and President Biden's pledge uh, on the coronavirus fight front uh, to donate now uh, hundreds of millions of doses worldwide uh, and uh, our contribution to COVAX. So uh, the United States has now pledged $4 billion uh, to fight uh, COVID-19 through COVAX. Uh, prior to today, to today uh, the president had announced 80 million uh, doses that we would contribute uh, to countries around the world. And uh, just this afternoon, uh, it was, it was uh, indicated that tomorrow uh, the president will announce the United States intends to purchase another 500 uh, million doses uh, to help defeat uh, COVID-19 around the world. Of the 25 million original doses, the first tranche of doses that the United States will distribute, 5 million uh, will be devoted uh, to Africa. Uh, so this is an important moment. Um, for the United States to take a leadership role uh, in that area and so many others. Uh, my colleagues on both sides of the aisle, uh, Republicans and Democrats, uh, have been right to also recognize that China is using its mercantilist and debt trap strategies to gain more influence in countries around the world, uh, including uh, Africa. And if we keep up business as usual, we will give China a free pass uh, to use that leverage to export its model of authoritarianism to governments in developing countries. Uh, I think we're all pleased that just yesterday, the United States Senate uh, passed on a bipartisan basis uh, legislation to significantly increase our competitiveness here at home, but also to uh, reassert U.S. leadership in many of these areas overseas. So, for example, a part of that bill that emerged from the Senate Foreign Relations Committee uh, included an increase of $100 billion authorization for the U.S. International Development Finance uh, Corporation, which we hope will be investing uh, in Africa. Uh, Africa, of course, is not a monolith. All of you know that better than anybody. You're all going to countries that have their own unique histories and own complex uh, issues uh, and, and challenges. And so, uh, today gives us an opportunity both to address those uh, individual issues as well as uh, take a look at the broader uh, situation. So let me now turn it over to um, Senator Rounds uh, for uh, any opening statement he wishes to give, and then I will um, introduce uh, our nominees and then turn it over to them for questioning. Senator Rounds. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and I most certainly appreciate your opening comments and. Um, I think that this is one of those committees where bipartisan agreement can be found. And I think we begin today in a very good way. Um, I am very pleased to see such a qualified panel of nominees before us today, with three previously confirmed by the committee to serve in ambassadorial posts, as well as experienced State Department personnel with great records of service. 
I want to thank you and your families for your service to our country. Ambassador Andre, your deep background with Africa will serve you well if you are confirmed to be our next ambassador to Somalia. I look forward to hearing your views on Somalia, a country struggling to overcome 30 years of instability in order to achieve democratic development and viable national institutions. Somalia's successful evolution, socially, politically, and economically, is vital for our interests in the region to include significant counterterrorism efforts against the violent extremist group Al-Shabaab. If confirmed, it will be critical that you maintain a close relationship with Congress to help assure a prudent way forward. Ambassador Brewer, if confirmed, your experience as ambassador to Sierra Leone, a small mission where the U.S. relationship focuses on foreign assistance, particularly in the health sector, would make you well-placed to serve as our ambassador to Lesotho, and I commend you for your desire to lead a U.S. embassy and a U.S. AID team at a small mission to help mentor the next generation of the Foreign Service. Given the challenges in fully staffing posts in Africa, seasoned diplomats willing to serve in such a mentorship role are definitely needed. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on how U.S. aid programs and trade relations with Lesotho can help that nation advance politically and economically. Ambassador Mushingi, if you are confirmed, I will be glad that we will be sending such an experienced diplomat with experience in five African countries to be our next ambassador to Angola and the Democratic Republic of Sotome and Principe. Seems to me that Angola's reformist president, Lorenzo, continues to provide an opportunity to deepen our relationship with that nation. I look forward to hearing uh, uh, how you, if confirmed, would support those reform efforts. Ms. Aubin, your experience in Algeria would well qualify you, if confirmed, to be our next ambassador to that nation. I look forward to hearing from you about how you would lead our embassy in Algiers in context of the problem sets facing the North African region and Algeria's ongoing political challenges. Now, also of particular interest to me are your views on how we can best meet the challenges of Morocco's unfortunate annexation with U.S. approval, I might add, of Western Sahara, an action which I find deeply troubling. Mr. Young, your experience in Sub-Saharan Africa and as an economic and commercial officer at numerous posts will prepare you well, if confirmed, to be our next ambassador to the Republic of Congo. I look forward to hearing from you about Congo and particularly how you would advance our relationship with that nation in the face of tremendous corruption and increased Chinese influence. Mr. Lamora, your Africa experience makes you well prepared for the difficult post for which you have been nominated. I am interested in your views on how the U.S. can work with the Cameroonian institutions as well as with other nations to address violent extremism, as well as the Anglophone crisis affecting the Northwest and Southwest regions of Cameroon. I would also like to hear from you on the tremendous challenges to democratic development posed by the government's crackdown on political opposition and press, the president's re-election to a seventh term in 2018 election, marred by violence and absence of a clear successor with concerns for further instability 
should he die or become sure. incapacitated. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, those would end my opening remarks. Well, thank you, uh, Senator, and thank you for uh, providing uh, some background on each of these uh, nominees. Uh, I am going to provide a little more background on each of them because I think it's important that you know people who are uh, tuning in uh, to the committee recognize uh, the breadth and depth of experience uh, that these diplomats have. Um, and uh, I think we can take great pride uh, in the fact that the president has nominated this distinguished uh, group of individuals. So uh, Ambassador Andre Jr. Um, is currently the Charge d'Affaires at Interim uh, at the U.S. Embassy in Juba, South Sudan. He is a former ambassador uh, to the Islamic Republic of Mauritania and to the Republic of Djibouti, uh, which has a majority ethnic Somali population and a peacekeeping contingent in Somalia. Ambassador Andre's earlier assignments also include service as the political counselor in Nairobi, Kenya, at which time his section oversaw Somali affairs. He's the recipient of more than a dozen notable senior State Department awards, including the Director General Award for Reporting. So thank you for uh, joining us. Ambassador Brewer uh, recently served as the United States Ambassador to the Republic of Sierra Leone. Prior to that role, uh, Ambassador Brewer was the Deputy Director of Career Development and Assignments at the State Department's Bureau of Human Resources. And she also served as the Deputy Chief of Mission and Charge at Interim at the U.S. Embassy in Abuja, Nigeria. In Nigeria, she oversaw a $500 million annual PEPFAR program as part of a global campaign to fight HIV AIDS. She earned the State Department's Distinguished Honor Award. Ambassador Mushingi is currently the U.S. Ambassador to Senegal and the Republic of Guinea-Bissau. Earlier in his career, Ambassador Mushingi served as the United States Ambassador to Burkina Faso and as the Deputy Chief of Mission to the United States Embassy in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. In Washington, uh, Ambassador Mushingi served as Executive Director at the Executive Office of the Secretary of State. And in 2017, he received the prestigious Palmer Award for the Advancement of Democracy. Ms. Aubin is currently the Acting Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Bureau of Near Eastern Affairs. Throughout her three decades of service, she's held post as executive director of the Joint Executive Office of the Bureaus of Near Eastern Affairs and South and Central Asian Affairs, Deputy Chief of Mission of the United States Embassy in Ottawa, Canada, Executive Director of the Bureau of Western Hemisphere Affairs, and Deputy Chief of Mission at the United States Embassy in Algiers, Algeria. Ms. Aubin has received numerous State Department awards, including multiple performance awards for her work in the Senior Foreign Service. Mr. Young is the Economic Counselor at the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem, Israel. Previously, Mr. Young was the Charge d'Affaires and Ad Interim and Deputy Chief of Mission at the United States Embassy in Vienna, Austria, and Counsel and Senior Civilian Representative at the U.S. Consulate in Herat, Afghanistan, and Deputy Chief of Mission at the U.S. Embassy in uh, Ljubljana, uh, Slovenia. He has also served as the Economic Counselor uh, in the United States Embassy in Nairobi, Kenya, and U.S. Consul General in Durban, South Africa. 
His service has been honored with several State Department awards, and I welcome him as well. Mr. Lamora uh, is currently the Deputy Chief of Mission at the United States Embassy in Accra, Ghana, which is the fifth largest U.S. Embassy in Sub-Saharan Africa. Previously, he was Acting Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Central Africa and African Security Affairs. Mr. Lamora has nearly 30 years of foreign service experience, uh, 12 of which has been spent focused on African policy, security, economic development, and partnerships and he has served in three African countries, including uh, Cameroon. He's the recipient of numerous State Department awards as well. So thank you all very much uh, again for your prior service. Um, we look forward to the discussion uh, today. And with that, I call upon Ambassador Andre to deliver an opening statement. Ambassador Andre. Mr. Chairman. Ranking member and distinguished members of the committee, greetings from South Sudan. I am honored to come before you today as President Biden's nominee to be the next United States Ambassador to the Federal Republic of Somalia. I am grateful to the President and Secretary Blinken for their confidence in me. My wife, Uruku Andre, and my children, Wahia and Isidore Andre, are watching online. I thank all my family, friends, and colleagues for their support. Mr. Chairman, I first came to Africa in 1983 as a Peace Corps volunteer in Senegal. I then worked in Chad on post-war reconstruction. I joined the State Department in 1990, intending to continue my focus on Africa. I am now serving my 10th tour on the continent. My three domestic assignments were also Africa-related. I have served at our embassies in each of the countries that border Somalia. If confirmed, I will draw on these experiences to lead our U.S. Embassy Mogadishu team in advancing our partnership with Somalia's people and their federal and state governments for greater peace and prosperity. I commit to keep you and your staff informed of our progress. Mr. Chairman, having spent much of my career serving in dangerous places, I feel deeply the responsibility of an ambassador toward all resident Americans and toward all US government employees in country. If confirmed, I will promote the safety of American citizens and of my embassy colleagues. Mr. Chairman, the United States needs a stable Somalia, as do the Somali people, East Africa and the international community. If confirmed, I will work with Somalia's federal and state governments Somali civil society, regional organizations, and like-minded international partners to promote stability through credible elections and governance reforms that advance peace and prosperity. Mr. Chairman, among other needed reforms, Somalia would benefit from a compromise leading to national consensus on the relationship between the federal government and state governments. The nature of Somali federalism has remained an open question for too long. Mr. Chairman, the people of Somalia and their neighbors are attacked regularly by Al-Qaeda's East Africa branch, Al-Shabaab. There is a smaller ISIS uh, Somalia presence in the North. Both international terrorist networks threaten our interests in the region 
and aspire to attack Americans. If confirmed, I will continue the work of Ambassador Yamamoto, applying the full range of tools to help Somalis defend themselves and rid their country of terrorism. I will also coordinate with the African Union's peacekeeping operation in Somalia. I will be guided by our shared goal of more operationally capable and professional Somali security forces that respect human rights, protect civilians, and hold accountable those responsible for abuses. In recent years, Somali security forces have made progress in this direction. The US military, the European Union, and the United Nations have contributed to that progress. Mr. Chairman, aside from political and security challenges, Somalis also confront a variety of natural calamities, economic dysfunction, and deficient educational and other public services. These difficulties contribute to poverty, hunger, and displacement. If confirmed, I would support the work of our development, humanitarian, and economic professionals in coordination with Somali authorities and international organizations to provide aid from the American people to Somalis in need and to promote inclusive economic growth. Ethnic Somali communities around the world are known for their resourcefulness, dynamism, and entrepreneurial spirit. Under the right conditions, Somalia will thrive due to the qualities of the Somali people. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, members of the committee, I thank you for this opportunity to appear before you. I am eager to respond to your questions. Thank you, uh, Mr. Ambassador. Next, we'll hear from Ambassador Brewer. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Rounds, members of the committee. It is an honor to appear before you as you consider my nomination as U.S. Ambassador to the Kingdom of Lesotho. I thank President Biden for this opportunity and for the trust that he and Secretary Blinken have shown in my ability to serve our country again as U.S. Ambassador. If confirmed, I look forward to collaborating with this committee as we advance U.S. objectives in Lesotho. I would like to thank my husband, Mark, and our 12-year-old daughter, Arena, for their love and support, along with my parents, William and Maria Palak, who are watching from their home in Texas. Also, today is my father's 77th birthday, so I'd like to say, happy birthday, Dad. Having served nearly 25 years with the U.S. Department of State, I have substantial experience working on African affairs, most recently as the U.S. Ambassador to Sierra Leone. My experience has taught me the need to develop diverse teams that reflect the country we serve and to foster high morale in challenging environments. If confirmed, I will draw on this experience to pursue U.S. goals and protect U.S. interests in Lesotho. Promoting democratic governance is at the core of U.S. values and of what we wish to accomplish in Lesotho. Lesotho seeks to implement reforms to reduce political instability, strengthen its institutions, and professionalize its military. These goals align with our own. Our embassy has made great strides in promoting the rule of law, civilian control of Lesotho's military, and government accountability. If confirmed, I will collaborate with this committee, the interagency, and the government of Lesotho to strengthen Lesotho's institutions, reinforce its ability to meet the needs of its people, and build its capacity to be a better partner to us. Last year taught every country that promoting the health of its people is a core imperative. 
In Lesotho, health system strengthening is at the center of our assistance. With one in four adults afflicted by HIV AIDS and many children orphaned by it, shoring up Lesotho's capacity to fight HIV AIDS will remain a critical component of US engagement. The President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, or PEPFAR, generously funded by Congress, has transformed Lesotho. Lesotho is one of the first countries to reach epidemic control, surpassing UNAIDS targets and cutting new infections by half. Our health partnerships have also bolstered Lesotho's capacity to confront COVID-19. Curbing the spread of these pandemics contributes to global health security, which benefits Americans here at home. To increase internal stability and its ability to be an effective partner, Lesotho needs economic development. AGOA, the African Growth and Opportunity Act, revolutionized Lesotho's economy, creating more than 45,000 private sector jobs. More progress is needed, improving work conditions and preparing Lesotho for its post-AGOA future. I will support economic diversification, continued progress on AGOA eligibility criteria, and overall improvement of the business climate if confirmed. Doing so not only improves the lives of Lesotho, but also improves conditions for U.S. companies seeking to do business with Lesotho. The Department of State in 2020 ranked Lesotho among the countries whose governments do not fully comply with the minimum standards in the Trafficking Victims Protection Act. The State Department has worked with the government of Lesotho to urge it to devote resources to combating trafficking in persons. Lesotho and its people are receptive to this message and we're seeing real progress. If confirmed, I commit to pressing Lesotho for increased prevention and prosecution of these crimes and increased protection for victims. I hold paramount the safety and security of U.S. citizens in Lesotho and the entire U.S. Embassy team, including U.S. citizen employees, their families, and our Basutu colleagues. If confirmed, I would do all within my power to ensure the security of our mission and oversee its operations. Thank you again for the opportunity to appear before you. If confirmed, I welcome the challenge and privilege of protecting and advancing U.S. interests in Maseru as the U.S. Ambassador. I look forward to any questions you may have. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Madam Ambassador. I think the whole committee would like to extend a happy birthday uh, to your father. And now we'll turn to Ambassador Mushingi. The floor is yours. Thank you, sir. Uh, Mr. Chairman, a ranking member, distinguished members of the committee. It's a privilege indeed to appear before you today as President Biden's nominee to serve as the U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Angola and to the Democratic Republic of Sao Tome and Principe. I thank the President and the Secretary of State for their confidence in me. I'm equally grateful for this distinguished committee's consideration. I appear today with the unfailing support of my wife of 40 years, Rebecca, who has also served our country working for 13 years with the US Peace Corps and of our beloved daughter, Furaha. My work across Africa from Mozambique to Morocco from Ethiopia to Senegal, as well as through various assignments in Washington, D.C., has prepared me to deliver meaningful results for the American people 
in the role for which I have been nominated. If confirmed, I will work to foster stronger ties between the United States and Angola and Sao Tome and Principe. Uh, President Lorenzo's economic and uh, political reform agenda aligns with US interests and presents us a unique opportunity to develop a mutually beneficial partnership with this fast emerging economy and rising African nation. As the government of Angola fosters a better business climate, US companies see tremendous trade and investment opportunities. And recently, US companies have achieved major successes in the energy and IT sectors. Angola's legacy of landmine continues to impede economic development and conservation efforts. Since 1995, USA has been the largest donor to the mining effort in Angola, investing more than 145 million US dollars to clear landmines. The 2018 Defending Economic Livelihoods and Threatened Animals Act helps to combat wildlife trafficking and to protect land and water resources. If confirmed, I will reinforce our commitment to help Angola eliminate the threat of landmines and protect its natural resources. Deep ties bind the United States and Angola. An estimated one quarter of all African-Americans have Angolan roots. In fact, the first enslaved Africans to arrive in what is now the United States in 1619 were from what is now Angola. If confirmed, I will look to be honest about this history while sharing the experience of the United States of America as we continue to seek to improve our nation. Turning to Sao Tome, a Sao Tome Principe has a small land footprint, but a large and strategically important maritime domain in the Gulf of Guinea shipping lanes. Enhancing the country's ability to monitor its waters and share information on maritime activity and piracy is a key component to improve regional security. South Domain Principe also has a long tradition of democracy and peaceful transfers of power. I will focus on these priorities if confirmed. As the world hopefully emerges from the COVID-19 pandemic, we expect to see more Americans coming to Angola and Sao Tome and Principe. The safety of our staff and US citizens is always paramount. Finally, American diplomacy works best when our diplomats best exemplify our nation. If confirmed, I will promote an interagency embassy team that reflects the values of our country. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, ranking member, distinguished members of the committee for the opportunity to appear before you today. 
I look forward to your questions. Thank you, uh, Mr. Ambassador. Uh, next, we'll turn to Ms. Aubin for her testimony. Thank you, Chairman Van Hollen, Ranking Member Rounds, and members of this committee for the opportunity to appear before you today. As the Texas-born child of a U.S. Air Force officer, I feel an immeasurable debt of gratitude to my parents, Tom and Virginia Moore, who raised me to put country over self, and I owe them everything for preparing me to take on my chosen vocation 31 years ago as a Foreign Service officer and to my husband, Daniel Aubin, for his incredible love and support. It's a huge honor to be nominated by President Biden to serve as the U.S. Ambassador to the Democratic People's Republic of Algeria, and I appreciate deeply the confidence he and Secretary Blinken have shown. I served in Algeria from 2011 to 2014 as the Deputy Chief of Mission, so I was there for the 2013 terrorist attack at the Inaminas gas production facility. And I, along with every member of the embassy, did not stop working until American hostages were released and three deceased Americans brought back to their families. It was a formative experience. If confirmed, my highest priority will be to keep all Americans in Algeria safe. If confirmed, I hope to advance three critical priorities. First, strengthening our security cooperation to fight terrorism and promote regional stability. Second, expanding investment opportunities for U.S. companies to deliver economic benefits to the American people. Third, advocating for necessary political and economic reforms to foster stability as Algeria navigates a post-COVID economy. Although it rarely makes the front page, we have an important relationship with Algeria and I will work to increase the impact of U.S. activities there. I also believe in the enduring value of deepening people-to-people -people ties. Embassy Algiers supports an ever-growing spectrum of programs that strengthen our security, economic, governance, educational, and cultural ties. Algeria's large youth population is curious about America and wants to learn English. That's an opportunity I hope to make the most of. If confirmed, I will return to a country that has changed in important ways since I last lived there. Last year, the Algerian government adopted a package of constitutional reforms to strengthen Algeria's political system. Legislative elections will occur in three days. The Algerian public continues to demonstrate peacefully for core civil rights and liberties. I will continue to press for expanding observance of human rights, including freedoms of expression and association, and space for civil society. Algeria fought against violent extremism in the 1990s, and it's maintained its stability through rigorous counterterrorism efforts, national reconciliation programs, and de-radicalization initiatives. Algeria has found ways to export this peace dividend in a difficult neighborhood. It played a critical role in brokering reconciliation in Mali with the 2015 Algiers Accord. Algeria provides security assistance to Tunisia and Niger. It actively participates in the African Union, the Arab League, the OIC, and it hosts AFRIPOL and the African Union Center for Study and Research on Terrorism. While new investments are essential, Algeria also remains one of the key regional producers of oil and gas, 
ranking ninth in the world in gas reserves and 16th in oil reserves, and has vast promise for renewables. If confirmed, I will promote U.S. companies as they seek to partner with Algerian firms to advance development of this vital energy sector for our mutual benefit. The United States and Algeria have a rich history on which to continue to build. From the Treaty of Peace and Amity with the U.S. signed in Algiers in 1795, to American troops liberating Algeria in World War II, from the United States being the first country to recognize Algerian independence on July 3, 1962, to Algeria playing a role of creative and active mediation to help release the 52 American diplomat hostages from Iran, we have an enduring partnership that can face the opportunities and the challenges of the 21st century together. Thank you, Chairman Van Hollen, Ranking Member Rounds, and members of the committee for this opportunity to address you. If confirmed, it will be the honor of my life to represent America to the Algerian people and to lead our tremendous and talented mission there. I look forward to your questions. Well, thank you very much uh, for your testimony. Uh, next, we're going to hear from Mr. Young. Thank you, sir. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, and distinguished members of the committee, really is an honor to appear before you today as the President's nominee to be Ambassador to the Republic of the Congo. Very grateful for the trust and confidence that President Biden and Secretary Blinken have placed in me. I want to acknowledge my remarkable wife, Zoe, and our two boys today. Uh, I know they're watching and I thank them for their enduring support and love. I believe my mother Margaret is also watching from home and I'm so grateful to her and my late father Sanford for their encouragement, their care and their rock solid upbringing. I think my brother Roland's out there too and I'm grateful to him as well with his family. So thanks for this chance. Thanks to the hard work of our diplomats on the ground in Brazzaville and the local staff at the embassy, the United States has built a strong relationship with the Republic of the Congo. We've been able to deepen the ties between our governments, engage in regular and serious dialogue, and work on issues of mutual concern. Our countries are working together to effectively fight COVID, to protect our shared environmental heritage, and to combat trafficking in persons. If confirmed, I will seek to maintain this improved U.S.-Congo partnership. Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, as you well know, the Republic of the Congo occupies a vital but tenuous position in Central Africa. Congo itself is a stable, is stable, but it lies in a region beset with challenges. In the past year, Congo has dealt with a suspected Ebola outbreak from across the Congo River. Excuse me. From across the Congo River and accommodated refugees fleeing the Central African Republic. Congo is also home to the Great Congo Rainforest, an invaluable ecological treasure known as the second lung of the world, but one known as, I'm sorry, sir. Um, it's okay, take your time. Okay. Congo is also home to the Great Congo Rainforest, an invaluable ecological treasure known as the second lung of the world, but one that is in danger of imprudent exploitation. 
Congo's significant oil reserves, which have boosted its economy, but also fueled corruption, will still be crucial to the country's immediate future. Mr. Chairman, if confirmed, I will work tirelessly to address these challenges and to ensure the safety and security of American citizens in Congo, as well as for our American and Congolese staff at the embassy. Working with this committee, the various agencies of the US government active in Congo, other donor nations and multilateral organizations, I will continue the good work our mission is supporting across key economic and social sectors in Congo. If confirmed, I will focus on encouraging democratic progress, supporting efforts to protect the Congo Basin, working with Congo to protect against this, our current pandemic and future pandemics, as well as encouraging the diversification of the Congolese economy. And for US business, I will continue the efforts of our embassy team in seeking a level playing field and a more transparent and inviting business environment. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member and members of the committee, thank you once again for the opportunity to appear before you today. If confirmed, I look forward to working with this committee and other interested members of Congress to advance US interests in Congo. And I'm very happy to respond to any questions you may have. Well, thank you uh, for your testimony. And now we will turn to Mr. Lamora. Uh, the floor is yours. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Rounds, distinguished members of the committee, it's a privilege and an honor to appear before you today as President Biden's nominee to serve as U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Cameroon. I thank the President and the Secretary of State for their confidence in me, and I'm equally grateful for this distinguished committee's consideration. While the virtual nature of this hearing precludes my family from joining us in person, I nonetheless want to recognize my husband, Eric, my sister, Michelle, and my nephews, Jack and Patrick, who have all supported and encouraged me over many years and who are watching today from home. I also want to pay homage to my late parents, Thomas and Elizabeth Lamora, without whose love and support, I would not be here today. The United States was one of the first countries to establish diplomatic relations with Cameroon in 1960. Since then, nearly 4,000 Peace Corps volunteers have served in Cameroon. It's a country with great cultural and geographic diversity, a capsule of the entire continent, active volcanoes, rainforest jungles teeming with wildlife, broad savannas, and a beautiful coastline. I was fortunate to have had the opportunity to experience much of this personally when I served in Cameroon previously. Unfortunately, this beautiful, warm, and welcoming country that launched my love of Africa nearly 30 years ago also faces significant challenges, as you well know. The United States is deeply concerned by the continued violence in Cameroon's Anglophone regions. What began as peaceful protests in late 2016 have tragically escalated into a protracted violent crisis with more than 3,000 persons killed and more than 1 million internally displaced. Children have been threatened and in some places killed for attending school. Schools, hospitals, and religious sites have been attacked. Humanitarian actors continue to face numerous obstacles in carrying out their work. We condemn violence in all its forms, regardless of who is perpetrating it 
and call for an end to the suffering of the civilian population, regardless of their location or affiliation. No one undermining peace in Cameroon has our support or our tolerance, whether members of the security forces or of armed separatist groups. We are acting vigorously to help resolve the crisis, and if confirmed, I commit that that will be my highest priority. This week, the Secretary of State established a policy imposing visa restrictions on those undermining efforts to peacefully resolve the situation. We continue to have discussions about Cameroon with the Cameroonian government and other Cameroonians, as well as with key international partners to foster greater, stronger, and more unified engagement. This will remain our highest priority in our Cameroon policy. Cameroon also faces a number of other challenges that are all too common in many parts of Sub-Saharan Africa, including health, security, and governance. The Cameroonian people have enormous potential. I've seen it firsthand. If I am confirmed, our embassy team and I will do everything we can to help the people and government of Cameroon make that potential a reality. The coronavirus pandemic has added a layer of difficulty to reaching that day. As a global health security agenda phase one country, Cameroon partners with the United States to strengthen its ability to prevent, detect, and respond to infectious diseases with pandemic potential. Cameroon also benefits from U.S. assistance through PEPFAR and the President's Malaria Initiative, such that it has reduced its HIV prevalence and is working to achieve epidemic control within the next two years. On security, the United States continues to support Cameroon and its Lake Chad Basin neighbors in their joint effort to defeat Boko Haram and its offshoot, ISIS West Africa. This is a key element of the fight against global terrorism. Our support, however, is neither limitless nor without conditions. Cameroonian security forces must abide by accepted human rights norms, and those who violate those norms must be held appropriately accountable. In the same vein, there is still substantial work to be done to promote democracy, human rights, combat corruption, and ensure accountability of those who violate Cameroonian laws or the citizens' trust. We must continue to press on all these important issues while helping the Cameroonian government and people, including civil society, to find a path to peace. Mr. Chairman, Mr. Ranking Member, members of the committee, I thank you once again for this opportunity to appear before you. And if confirmed, I look forward to working with you and others in Congress to advance U.S. interests in Cameroon. I would be happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Lamora, and uh, thank you all very much uh, for your testimony. And as somebody who grew up in a foreign service family, I uh, understand and grateful you acknowledged uh, that representing the United States uh, is a, a family affair and a, a, a team effort. Um, with that, given my colleagues, uh, Senator Brown's uh, time constraints, uh, I think I'll just turn it over to you. Um, Mike, if you want to begin uh, the questioning, I understood you said you had to leave shortly, so I don't know how much time you've got. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. You were cutting out a little bit there, but 
if you would allow me, I, I would make a quick work of my time and ask a few questions, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. No, I, I want to make sure you have a chance to ask whatever you want. So um, why don't you lead off? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I appreciate the courtesy. Ambassador Andre, as you know, Somalia is racked by a political crisis over the September 17th agreement to forego a one-person, one-vote election in favor of an indirect selection process similar to that of 2016 and 2017. However, I'm particularly curious about how you see Somalia's longer-term political situation. Looking past the current political crisis, what are the reasonable benchmarks the United States should expect with regard to Somalia's democratic development? Uh, thank you, Senator, for that question. Uh, looking forward, uh, not to the immediate situation, as you said, uh, we need to uh, assist the Somalis to develop a, a permanent constitution. They're using a, a provisional one right now. Uh, the Somali political class recognizes that uh, the indirect method that they have used in the past and that they are intending to use this time um, is a, a stopgap measure um, until they are able uh, to have uh, the uh, one person, one vote uh, direct elections, which all seem to uh, agree is uh, their ending point. Uh, they don't control all of their territory at this point, and they don't want to disadvantage uh, Somalis who, un, uh, having nothing to do with their own will, are trapped uh, behind uh, the lines and territory controlled by terrorist networks. Uh, so, the Constitution and getting to uh, that direct uh, election that you referred to. Thank you, sir. Ms. Aubin, I'm very concerned about the recent U.S. policy change to recognize Moroccan sovereignty over Western Sahara. I've been uh, to the Sahrawi people's um, uh, refugee camps twice. I was impressed by their strong desire for independence and frustration at the long delay of the time period for a referendum to determine whether Western Sahara should become a part of Morocco or be an independent nation. Please tell me how you think this change in U.S. policy has impacted U.S.-Algeria relations, and also under what conditions, if any, might Algeria increase military assistance to the Polisario to support uh, it against Morocco? Thank you for the question, Senator Rounds. Algeria has supported the political process led by the UN and by the UN Secretary General's personal envoy for Western Sahara. And so I think Algeria welcomes the fact that we are resuming active diplomacy in support of the UN and together with our international policy, uh, partners want to bring a halt to the violence and restart a credible UN process. We are working with privately with all the parties involved and discussing the path forward. I don't believe, to your question about uh, military assistance, I don't believe Algeria is providing uh, military assistance. It's not something they highlight. But most definitively, they've called for de-escalation of violence and for the political process to continue. Thank you. And Mr. Chairman, just uh, I've got a couple or a couple questions that I will offer for the record, but I appreciate your courtesy in allowing to move forward first, and uh, and I thank you. And at this point, I will have to step out of the meeting.
Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And thank you to all of the, the uh, nominees before us. I most certainly have appreciated your comments today. Well, thank you, uh, Senator, and thank you for um, your, your questions and look forward to working with you. Uh, so I'm gonna also uh, start with uh, Ambassador Andre. Uh, and, uh, you know, as was referenced earlier in this hearing, we have continued Al-Shabaab presence uh, in Somalia. We also have the uh, withdrawal uh, of U.S. military personnel from Somalia, a decision made by the, the previous president. Uh, how has that decision to withdraw U.S. forces uh, impacted uh, the situation uh, in Somalia, in your opinion? Well, uh, Senator, uh, in my capacity as ambassador in Djibouti, uh, I was present in uh, in January when uh, when AFRICOM took on uh, that instruction. It was a repositioning of U.S. forces from Somalia to elsewhere in the region, uh, which has uh, slowed the tempo of our efforts uh, to uh, assist the the Somali uh, with the Somali people with their security, but it has not stopped it. Uh, we continue to build the capacity of Somalia uh, security forces, support uh, AMISOM, the African Union's peacekeeping force, and to keep the U.S. Embassy open and operational. Well, I appreciate that. In fact, I was just speaking uh, the other day with um, the mayor of the city of Salisbury, Maryland, who happens to be a member of the Maryland uh, National Guard and was recently uh, deployed uh, to Djibouti as uh, well. And, um, we talked a little bit about uh, that sort of redeployment, as you said. I've also heard concerns from uh, others in the region uh, that a, a there's been some 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 vacuum created, although there's obviously an attempt to to compensate for that. Um, you referenced uh, in your testimony uh, Somali federalism. So how how does the and we're heading into elections here. Can you just talk a little bit about how uh, the situation in Somalia compares with the uh, regional situation in Somaliland and then Putland? And I know that Somaliland and Putland have different relationships uh, than uh, than with the with the national sort of government, at least as, as seen by Putland. So could you just describe that and and what the challenges are and what? What role, if any, uh, the United States should play in mediating this effort, especially in the context of elections? Uh, yes, Senator. Uh, I uh, I want to emphasize, uh, as I said in the testimony, the importance of establishing uh, through consensus uh, and uh, compromise a consistent pattern, a framework uh, for the relations between the central government and the states. Uh, 20 years ago, I spent um, uh, some time in Puntland. I was, I was there looking mostly at fisheries issues. Uh, and uh, they have uh, been able to govern themselves well. Um, they see themselves uh, very much as a part uh, of Somalia, uh, but they are also very interested in, uh, in having uh, significant control over uh, their own governance. Uh, there are other... Uh, uh, federal uh, states of Somalia that have different understandings and different relationships. Uh, Somaliland, as you know, uh, does not consider itself uh, part of Somalia. Uh, the United States recognizes a single Somalia, which includes Somaliland. Uh, so 
the the picture here is um, a bit confused uh, because there is not a consistent relationship between the center and uh, the states. Uh, that is something for Somalis to work out. They have many uh, uh, international examples uh, to uh, choose from uh, to consider as they as a, as the Somali people uh, build that compromise national consensus on what uh, the nature of Somali federalism should be. I appreciate that. Thank you, um, Mr. Ambassador. Uh, turning to Ambassador Brewer uh, and Lesotho, uh, you referenced uh, in your testimony the, the AGOA uh, agreement, which has uh, helped uh, the uh, Lesotho economy. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think both Lesotho, uh, Lesotho would like to see greater diversification um, in its economy um, outside uh, the textile sector. Are there things that uh, the United States can do to be helpful uh, to that that effort uh, by by the government of Lesotho? Uh, thank you, sir, for that question. Thank you, Senator. Uh, uh, we do see that AGOA has been a, a massive uh, help to that country. Um, about 12% of the GDP in 2019 came from AGOA from from the export of mainly textiles, as you note, sir. Um, but there are many uh, opportunities for U.S. companies, and one of the challenges of serving in Africa, uh, particularly in, in smaller countries such as Sierra Leone and Lesotho, is how to attract those U.S. companies, how to encourage them uh, that uh, they will have their goods and services uh, treated fairly and they'll have a level playing field when they get there. So one of the issues that, if confirmed, I will be carrying forward um, with the host nation uh, will be the need to have um, a, a welcoming climate, a business climate that encourages um, international companies, including those from the U.S., um, to come. That means anti-corruption, that means a rule of law, that means political stability. All of these are ingredients that lead to, um, you know, diversification. So certainly we see um, potential in the energy sector through Power Africa, through a whole of U.S. government engagement. Um, we understand that that the uh, host nation, uh, the, the government of Lesotho, would like to increase their agricultural output. I am originally from Indiana, a, a state with a proud agricultural tradition, and I think there's a lot that America can do, um, certainly through the commercial sector, um, to be able to help them with uh, good services and equipment. So I think there's great potential, um, and I believe that that the U.S. is, is there uh, ready to help. We are the partner of choice. We have a great reputation, and I think uh, we, we can assist them um, through a commercial context, not just uh, through a foreign assistance. Well, thank you. And uh, you, you mentioned also uh, the success of our efforts on HIV AIDS uh, in Lesotho, and we look forward to keeping in touch with you uh, on that, especially um, the extent to which Lesotho has been able to take ownership of that. Uh, um, so. Um, I, I'm told that there are no other committee members I, I, on right now, and if that's the case, I will continue um, asking questions of our nominees. Um, so, Ambassador Mushingi, uh, as you know, uh, the United States has signed a number of cooper cooperative agreements uh, with Angola in recent years, um, including uh, engagements with in Prosper Africa, the Women's Global uh, Development and Prosperity Initiative, the Young African Leaders Initiative. Could you uh, talk about uh, the areas that you think uh, create the 
most you know fruitful opportunities of engagement um, with uh, with Angola, and also uh, what you see as our our biggest challenges. And I, I should say a lot of you covered a lot of our questions in your opening statements, so uh, you know that will that will cut down on the on the questions. But I, I do want to uh, you know talk to you about some of the uh, the issues that do remain. While you thank you, Senator. Uh, clearly, we see an opportunity here to engage now with uh, Angola, especially uh, since uh, the new regime took over about uh, three years ago, uh, where we have uh, a big opening here is really on promoting economic recovery, the promoting a two-way trade between our two countries and opening these opportunities to US companies in Angola, a country of about 30, more than 30 million, million people. And we, we see this desire on the Angolans to move away from their traditional historic alliances and hence, and that's where we come in as uh, the US. Many of the Angolans, the majority of the Angolans, as you uh, described in your uh, opening remarks about the youth bond in Angola or in many of the other African countries, know what's going on outside of Angola, know what the US can bring to the table. And each American company, what I call the US model, has these three ingredients that so far have been missing in Angola and that really Angolans want to take advantage of. One of them is the transparency. The second one is the transfer of technology. And the third one is creation of jobs. So those are the opportunities that I see for American, American companies in Angola. But moving forward, as far as extending the cooperative agreement you were talking about, on the co security cooperation, we see also a, an opportunity here to get into the door because the history of Angola has been with their security cooperation with Russia, has been there for a long time. And now with the signing of our, our uh, cooperative agreement uh, a few years ago, between the Minister of Defense and our uh, DOD, we see an opening where the security forces are eager to be uh, trained by us, are eager to be equipped by us, are eager to see the intelligence uh, technologies and how they can use that for their own security in the region. Finally is of course the, uh, the, the security of the region and the influence that Angola can help us in the region, whether we are talking about Southern Africa region, but also Central Africa. And we have seen that in the Central African Republic, in the DRC, Democratic Republic of the Congo, in Uganda and uh, Rwanda as well. Over to you. Thank you. No, thank you, Mr. Ambassador. And, uh, and you know, I think you, you covered some of this. You mentioned Russia, but I think of all the countries that uh, we're 
uh, talking about at this hearing, um, uh, China probably has established the greatest amount of influence and, and footprint uh, in Angola. So what, to what extent does China's economic and diplomatic and military influence Angola uh, impact our interests uh, there? Thank you, Senator, for that question. Yes, China and Russia have these traditional uh, relations with uh, uh, Angola. Uh, it's no secret to anybody uh, that uh, indeed, uh, when we look at uh, the major infrastructure uh, uh, projects, many of them have been developed by, by China. But also when we look at the debt issue, again, China is at the top of the list for that country. Now, where we come in is again, as I said, for our US companies, and we saw few successes that I referred to earlier in my testimony, uh, in the last few months, uh, three American companies that have been able to penetrate the market and win over the competition uh, in various sectors. We looked at te telecommunication, uh, IT, uh, solar energy, but also energy. And those were US companies, the latest three successes uh, we have seen. And I think uh, for me, uh, the way I would see this is for us to talk about we, the USA, what we are bringing to the table and let the Angolans decide themselves. At the end of the day, I'm confident that we can compete in this market and indeed not only compete, but we can win in this market. Over to you, sir. Thank, thank you, Mr. Ambassador. Um, just one, one question on uh, uh, Sao Tome and Principe, which is you, you mentioned uh, their, uh, their, their sort of government structure and process. Um, uh, which has been, uh, I think, one that uh, we have uh, encouraged and supported. Um, with respect to their economy, my understanding is they would also like to diversify their economy a little bit more. Um, what, what role can the United States uh, play in, with respect to that objective? Thank you, Senator. The one role that we can play is really to build on what we already have. As I said, it's a a small land uh, footprint, but the, 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 the long maritime borders, and for us talking about maritime security, that's one thing where really we can play a, a, a big, uh, uh, the biggest role. Uh, but I was really happy to see <laughs> that uh, uh, when I looked at the American companies that are on the ground, uh, Cosmos Energy, uh, Caterpillar, uh, Dell. So that gives me a, an idea of the openness that Sao Tome has to American uh, businesses and American model. And that is, if confirmed, that is what I'll be pushing. And especially many of those companies that, or even agencies that work in the security area when we are talking about maritime security in the Gulf of, of Guinea. Over. Thank, thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Ambassador. Um, 
Ms. Aubin, uh, the United States, as you know, is, has praised Algeria for its cooperation on counterterrorism issues um, and regional matters. And uh, you referenced uh, in your testimony its role as a mediator, notably in Mali in 2015. Uh, at the same time, uh, its close ties to and its, its arms deals with Russia, um, especially in the aftermath of the CATSA legislation uh, passed here in Congress uh, have been concerning. So what do you see as the main areas of agreement uh, between the United States and Algeria and some of the areas of friction? Thank you for the question, Senator Van Hollen. I see the US and Algeria having a lot of areas of agreement regional stability in the Maghreb, uh, the desire to uh, have a more inclusive economic environment. And certainly uh, they're very interested in uh, the human rights report, trafficking in persons report and, uh, and other reports that we do, uh, and they are working to make gains in those areas. You're right about uh, Russia and Algeria's military relationship. Uh, Algeria procured two-thirds of uh, its arms from Russia between 2015 and 2019. So, so that is an issue. Uh, and the sale of C-130s were part of the United States' larger policy goal of deterring Algeria from engaging in sanctionable activity. And if confirmed, I will prioritize that in my conversations with Algerian officials. No, I appreciate that because as you, there, there were the arms sales, um, as you say, dating back to you know, 2015 and before, but uh, I think more concerning have been some of the arms sales since the CATSA legislation uh, passed. What, what impact, if any, have you seen has that had on uh, the calculations of the Algerian government in terms of um, in terms of purchases. So uh, thank you for allowing me to um, to clarify that I, I think the C-130 sale helps deter that. And I think the United States needs to continue conversations with Algeria to explain what countering America's adversaries through Sanctions Act really means uh, and how that will impact our relationship moving forward. And so that's something that I will prioritize my conversations when I get there. Uh, Algeria has uh, had a policy of, of sovereignty and non-interference in uh, domestic affairs, and, and, and that's uh, how they've um, moved forward in their, in their bilateral relationships. But I think this is a really important point, and I will continue, uh, if confirmed, I will continue to raise that with Algerian colleagues. Thank you. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. And uh, Senator Rounds uh, uh, mentioned uh, his opposition to the uh, former administration's um, policy change with respect to recognition of Moroccan sovereignty uh, over the Western Sahara. You already uh, answered that question. I, I do want to go on record in agreement with my my colleague, uh, Senator Rounds, uh, on that on that matter. Uh, so let me turn now to, to Mr. Young, um, if, if I may, and uh, a couple questions because you covered a lot of it in your, your testimony with respect to the Republic of 
uh, Congo. Um, one of the concerns I'm sure you've seen uh, expressed uh, here on the Hill in the United States and elsewhere um, has been uh, the regional impact of weak control over the security sector uh, and abuses committed by uh, Congolese uh, peacekeepers and, and park rangers. Uh, can you speak a little bit uh, to uh, that issue um, and, you know, what what role you can play in uh, expressing our concerns and what kind of changes that we, we can expect? Thank you, Senator. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I think uh, it's, it's really important that uh, we continue the direct dialogue with the government on issues like these that uh, my predecessor and our embassy is still having. Uh, at this point, um, to have to have that regular dialogue, have an open discussion. Um, in terms of the peacekeepers that you mentioned, sir, my understanding, and this is one of the positive signs that uh, we've seen, and and that is that those peacekeepers that I think you're referring to were in fact held accountable for the crimes that they committed. Um, so that was one plus that we had seen recently. But it's important that we across this and across all of these issues around. Uh, around democratic uh, democratic progress that we have a dialogue with the government we have dialogue with civil society uh with youth with the security and and maintain some of the training programs we've had with security forces and with uh, law enforcement i think those can help address the issues that you're referring to sir well right now i'm referring to the situation in the central african uh, republic their peace their their their, their right. troops yes. there and uh uh, we do look forward to working with you to make sure that um, everyone is held uh, accountable uh, in that in, in in what happened there. Uh, let me let me turn to um, Mr. Lamora and uh, as you as you referenced in your testimony, uh, Cameroon has seen uh, significant violence in recent years uh, owing to the Anglophone conflict uh, as well as the Boko Haram uh, insurgency in the in the far north. Um, I represent um, a, a very active and engaged and, and terrific uh, Cameroonian American constituency um, in the state of Maryland. Uh, and I've uh, been engaged with them in conversations uh, about their concerns uh, about what's happening. Um, can, you, can you talk a little more about what the United States can do to support uh, a peaceful resolution of Cameroon's Anglophone conflict? Thank you, Senator. Um, yes, uh, one of the things that we have been trying to do and will try to do uh, with Cameroon is to bring the parties together uh, to get them to talk. Uh, there has not been complete willingness on any side thus far to come to the table. Um, as you are aware, I know, sir, the Swiss have led a process of trying to do that, and we have supported and, and aligned ourselves with that. I think an important thing that we have been doing uh, increasingly in, in recent weeks is to uh, engage the French at higher levels. France has a, a longstanding close relationship with the government in Yaoundé. Uh, Secretary Blinken recently raised his concerns, our concerns about Cameroon with his French counterpart. Uh, I think greater French engagement uh, certainly would help. Uh, we, are, we are hopeful that we can move that forward. Uh, as I mentioned in my testimony also, um, Following on the resolution that the Senate passed, uh, SRS 684, that talked about the possibility of sanctions, 
Uh, Secretary Blinken announced uh, visa sanctions, visa restrictions earlier this week on those who are impeding peace in, in the Anglophone regions in particular. Uh, so I think there's a variety of things that we can do and that our international partners can do, but ultimately um, we can help move them all in, in the best direction we can, but it will have to be the Cameroonian government, the, the parties to the violence and the Cameroonian people uh, who, who really commit themselves to finding a peaceful way forward. Thank you. Um, thank you all. I'm, I'm getting word that another committee I, I serve on, um, I'm, the Attorney General may be wrapping up and I hope you get over there and have a chance to ask uh, him some questions. So let me thank all of you um, again for your previous service to our country. Um, I, look, I look forward to supporting your nominations. Um, and uh, again, uh, thank you for, um, for what you do uh, and to your families. Uh, and with that, um, this, this hearing is adjourned.